The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Today, we talk running backs on Fantasy Football Today, as opposed to all of our other shows where we never talk about running backs, right? But this time, we're going to talk about running backs for most of the show. Looking back at the position in 2019, what did we learn? What takeaways can we take away? Well, well said there, Adam. And also, Heath is back. Heath, you're back. When the heck was the last time we spoke to you, Heath Cummings? Welcome back. I don't remember the last time I spoke to you, which was really, really nice. I feel very <laughs> rested. Um, it would have been sometime week 17. You've not talked to me since the playoffs started, for sure. And yeah, it was a good, uh, good two-week hiatus. Welcome back. You know, it wasn't as fun to criticize your terrible all-decade team without you on the show. Can, so I'm you know what's funny though. Today. Like I don't even want to debate whether my team is terrible. Just why you think my team is terrible when you have half of the same players, including one who you wouldn't have even had if you hadn't seen the statistic I provided when I picked him. You know, there could be, I'll get Dave and Ben Gretsch on in a moment. You you had such a good team, but you just, the Larry Fitzgerald pick just ruined it. I mean, I think that was it. It's just, and also Christian McCaffrey, that's so weak. So Fitzgerald McCaffrey had two spots out of, how, out of what, like seven people out of uh, seven spots, eight. whatever. There, were, there were eight. And eight. I like, so 20, I've got 25 percent bad. I have no defense of Larry Fitzgerald other than the one that I gave that I assume you read on the podcast last time. I've got a defense built for Christian McCaffrey that is going to change your mind by the time this podcast is over. All right. Dave Richard, good morning. How good are morning, you? Adam. How How is Zoe? How's the cat? Oh, to see, you know, Dave said I missed yesterday's show because my cat is sick. You know, you shouldn't joke about that because one day she might be sick and it won't be funny, Dave Richard. I know, uh, I know. Ben Gretsch, uh, Ben is here. What's up, Ben Gretsch? What is going on? I'm looking at these all-decade teams, and I don't understand how Calvin Johnson's not on all of them. Or I guess he Thank is you. the one person who didn't put Calvin Johnson in. Because he was the wide receiver one, in ADP at least, for pretty much at least the first half of the decade. Yeah, once, I, would say, I would say half the decade. Once upon a time, we talked about whether or not Calvin Johnson was the best wide receiver to ever play in the National Football mm -hmm. League. We, we had a debate of Calvin Johnson versus Jerry Rice. It was a long time ago. But oh, I, yeah. I, at He's the time, Calvin Johnson was dominating. That yeah. seems pretty silly now, though, doesn't it? It kind of does now. But it, who knows if Calvin never had gotten hurt toward the end of his career and kept playing a little longer, he might have been the number one guy. Yeah. And yeah, you know what? That's why Heath's team is really bad. So we'll get into that. Uh, sum up the running back position in one to three sentences. A weird task to start the show. Ben mm. Gretsch, sum up the running back position in one to three sentences. Yeah, I'll say there there was 15 backs who caught 45 passes, and top the top four in PPR were all in that group. Derrick Henry was fifth, and and is kind of that big outlier. But I don't want to draw too many conclusions from that. Eight of the top ten were all from that 15 player sample. You want guys that catch passes in PPR. I would say the running back group is pretty strong and evolving, and it, it has to do with catching the football. I think more and more teams are starting to jump on board with using their running back in the passing game. And it could be a league-wide thing moving forward, and that would make me excited. And I think it's going to be a not like super deep. Like, you're not going to be able to get a stud running back in round four. But 
I think you're going to see good running backs go into round two. And if people just aren't sold on the non-Michael Thomas wide receivers in round one, they're going to take running backs did, then. Did you purposefully use ands and buts instead of pauses so that yeah. one long sentence? Be one one long okay, sentence. Perfect. That's how it's done. Um, yeah, I, I think... I think there was a semicolon in there, if I'm not mistaken. I use semicolons when I write. The only constant yeah. at running back is change that continues, and I think the window for their production is getting even shorter. And I would say that, okay, here's my one, one sentence, or two sentences. Six of the top seven non-quarterbacks in PPR are running backs this year. What else is there to say? I mean, that to me tells you why you chase running backs. They have... Uh, they could just, you know, dominate your leagues more than anyone else. It's just look at the top, look at round one in CBS ADP. Uh, Barkley, Kamara, McCaffrey, Zeke, James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson. I think you could argue there are five busts out of those seven. Um, round two was um, Chubb, Gurley, Mixon, Cook, Fournette. That's better. But I think you could argue five busts there out of out of the seven running backs in round one. I, I also also think it's important just to point out what you did there. Because, yes, six of the top seven in PPR were running backs. Six of the top 12 were also running backs. Um, the next yeah, five they, players guys... were wide receivers, and there was a difference. Uh, oh, I want to I make another argument on what he just did. He said six out of the top seven skill position players were running backs and then went on to say and said that's why you chase running backs and then went on to say that five of the, the seven in the first round were busts, which means that some of those running backs weren't actually guys that we were chasing. They went later. That's true. So I yeah. don't know what the- no, that's true. <laughs> no, I, I, you chase them throughout the draft. You don't just chase them in round one. I mean, I know that Ben, you would, you always talk about the dead zone, which you know is it was a really, a really interesting point that you brought up. But you got You got to get a lot of running backs because they they could have the most impact on your team. That was the point I was trying to make. Not necessarily the ones we take earliest, but the running backs in general. You get that running back that pops. You get that running back that gets a ton of touches, ton of catches, ton of touchdowns. They just they have more impact on your fantasy team than anyone else. That's uh, that was my point. Sure, the Aaron Joneses and Derrick Henrys, and uh, I guess Austin Eckler. He finishes a top five in PPR running back. So those types of players, it's those are the ones you've got to weed out and find. So you're draft. saying we should go zero wide receiver, wide receiver and draft those guys. This it's, it's a possible, well, if you know who they're going to no. be, of course, but you're not <laughs> going to know. I, I think receiver receiver could be a tough task this year. I I'm looking forward to it. Well, you never shy away from tough tasks. See? So, you know, you, you talk Ben about the catches. I actually thought that, you know, this year kind of bucked the trend a little bit. Because in the, each of the previous two th- two seasons, 2017 and 2018, we did not have a top five running back with less than 50 catches. This year we had Derrick Henry. I think we had four running backs in the top 12 that had less than 40 catches. And that was really surprising, Ben. So I actually thought and – and we finally, after going up like four years in a row in terms of the number of running backs who caught 50 passes, we went down a little bit this year. We went 5, 8, 11, 14, 16 uh, those are the 50 catch running backs in the last five seasons going into 2019. And then we went down to 13 this year, which is the lowest in three seasons. You mentioned 45 catches. I always use 50, whatever, but catch. So the a huge takeaway for me, catching the ball and the quality of offense didn't matter as much this year. Uh, ben, what's your, what your, you know, what do you have to say about that? Gretch? Well, I mean, yeah, the cutoff you use is, you know, it's it's relevant to to Aaron Jones, who had 49 catches and was was right up there at the top of the list. I I think using 50 just cuts out Jones, and that's kind of silly. But if you do use 50, there's only 13 players who caught 50 balls. So when you say six out of the top 10 didn't do it, I mean, are our expectations that those 13 players finished literally one through 13? Because that's a very small sample. 50 catches for a running back is a very very good season. And I will note that of those six out of tw- or four of twelve that you said, I think it was four of twelve. So I would flip that the other way and say, I, oh, no, wait, the under forty. Guys, four of twelve or under forty. Uh, so I did not because I because okay. I noticed the Aaron Jones at forty nine, which is why I didn't include him in there. So I'm talking about Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb at thirty six catches, Mark Ingram had twenty six catches, Chris Carson at thirty seven catches. All of those guys finished as top twelve running backs in PPR. You go top fifteen, you got Joe Mixon and Todd Gurley with thirty five and thirty one catches. So it was but, a strange year in that sense. It was a little bit of a departure from previous years where the catches didn't, they still matter, but not as much as they did in, in 17 and 18. I just real quick want to add, it's it's important to note that 
you're using a, a RB12 or RB15 cutoff. Look at where these guys specifically finished. Derrick Henry was a monster RB5. Nick Chubb, RB8. And then everyone else is outside the top 10. They're RB11, 12, 13, 14. These are the guys that you're mentioning. Those are not elite seasons. Well, I, th- I have Derrick Henry. He was two. Uh, was he five? Yeah. It's so close, though, um, with Henry. But you're right. Uh, he was, what was he, RB5 in, in PPR? He was RB2 in non-PPR. And yeah, he was five in, in PPR. Um, all right, so we'll get back to running backs in a little bit. We got to go through some news and notes. We got to do uh, talk a little bit about last night's college football game, which was really crappy. Uh, yeah, or boring. Like, eh, was it boring? Was it crappy? It was just non-competitive. It was fine. Just non-competitive. A few things to promote. Leave in our Apple Podcast reviews your best fantasy loser punishments. We'd love to know what you made your league mates do or what you had to do for losing your league, for being the worst player in your league. If you're not familiar with the uh, the 24 hours in Waffle House thing, you guys familiar with this, uh, guys? Yeah, I, reading reading the, um, <laughs> the tweets about it is incredible. So, so it comes from Cyrus. Cyrus Dead had Dave. to he, right. He he finished last in his league. He had to spend twenty four hours in a Waffle House for each waffle that he ate. He got to subtract one hour from his stay in the Waffle House. And you just read the thread of of his stay at Waffle House, and uh, it's very entertaining. It's very funny, <laughs> and and in an interesting punishment as well. I wonder if that's something that could catch on, and Waffle House can be the official punishment restaurant of fantasy football. Yeah, I, well, I that mean, wouldn't be such a bad thing. Waffle what House a slogan. Delicious. The official punishment restaurant of fantasy football. I mean, if that doesn't get so, you yeah. up in the morning to take your family out to a delicious breakfast, I don't know what does. So tell us uh, the punishment, the best punishments in your league. And also, it's a great time to listen to the Cover 3 podcast because, you know, you want to hear that reaction on Joe Burrow's game, uh, Joe Burrow's season, and he's obviously going to be the number one pick, Joe Bangle. And uh, listen to the Cover 3 podcast. You can get a complete list of our podcasts at cbssports.com slash podcast. Came across this cool stat. Alvin Kamara has had exactly 81 catches in all three of his NFL seasons. How about that, guys? Mm -hmm. 81. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. There's your stat. And then I did want to talk about last night because here's this Twitter poll I got wrong. I got so wrong. I answered this. But no, I wasn't the only one. Uh, the, this came from the CBS Sports account. If Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow were both eligible for the NFL draft, who would you draft number one overall? So I voted Trevor Lawrence, and I voted right around kickoff. And I think at that point, Trevor Lawrence had like 52% of the vote. By the end of it, Joe Burrow had 54% of the vote. And there are thousands of people voting here. So people were swayed by the performance. I don't know when they closed the poll, but it was after the game started, I'm pretty sure. Um is there any, like, how good is Joe Burrow? I could not believe. I mean, this guy, all season long, you've seen it. He makes amazing pinpoint throws down the field, contested throws. I am blown away by how good this guy was. And it's fantasy relevant, obviously, because he's going to be a Bengal next year. And he just, he arguably completed the greatest season in college football history for a quarterback. And he just looks so NFL ready and so good. I think this is really difficult because he was arguably the greatest quarterback in college football history, but when he was Trevor Lawrence's age, he was a backup. Like Trevor Lawrence is what four, three or four years younger than he is. And so the fact that Lawrence is doing this at this age makes me want to pick Lawrence. Um, I think it's very difficult. I'd probably pick Lawrence. I think I would too, but that's not to take anything away from Joe Burrow. Right. I think he's awesome. He could be an impact player right away in 2020. You think about the Bengals and all the offense that they already have there. And I think Burrow can mesh with them pretty quickly. It's just a matter of how easily he can pick up the playbook and how that offensive line can protect him. But I'm I'm actually optimistic about a Bengals quarterback. It's been a long time since I felt this way. Burrow's so interesting because he's was so unquestionably amazing, right? But he took such a step forward this season. He's older than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson just had arguably the best fantasy season by a quarterback in the NFL. Imagine if Lamar Jackson was still in college this season, what he might have done. So it's it's pretty fascinating to me. I think Burrow's extremely good. He shows all the traits, but he's very old because of his transfer uh, to, to have finally broken out and played at this level. I think he absolutely deserves to be the number one pick, but I, I do think that's a, a, a extremely important note that he's brought up. And Trevor Lawrence is now playing two national title games. At, he's only through his true sophomore season. He's not even draft eligible yet. I mean, this guy has a really high ceiling as well. That's a good point. 
and also he had uh, Joe Burrow had the best offensive line in in the country. Uh, it was named the best it, offensive yep. line in the country. That's Obviously, a huge. The factor. receivers are great. So, and just yeah, and just so we have it out there, Adam uh, Burrow's twenty three. He just turned twenty three in December. Trevor Lawrence is twenty. He turned twenty last October. Trevor Lawrence was born. Oh my God! Four months before I started my job, my tenure at CBS <laughs> Sports. That's that's crazy. That makes uh, me feel man. pretty. I, pretty pretty old. I think I have a kid older than Trevor Lawrence. When's your kid's birthday? August of 99? Yeah. Your yeah. kid, your daughter? Yeah. Yeah, your daughter's older, older than Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. I could be Trevor Lawrence's dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, Heath. So how did you enjoy your uh, your time away? What did you do while you were away from us uh, making this all-decade? Well, you made the all-decade team before you went on vacation, so there's really no excuse for it. But uh, well, we missed you, man. What have you been up to? Uh, let's see. I like the best things I did. I went to the Everglades and went camping and had a phenomenal time at Flamingo Park. Stayed right on the Florida Bay. Went canoeing with crocodiles and manatees. Whoa, it was outstanding. I on Sunday actually went to the Maple Bacon Coffee Porter Fest at Funky Buddha. Oh, that was outstanding. It's their annual release of that beer. They only release it once, and it's one of the best beers I've ever had in my entire life. I watched all of Jack Ryan and finally watched the first season of The Sopranos and caught up on Homeland. That's so that's good. What, yeah. That is that's pretty good. I've never seen The Sopranos. So what did you think of the oh first my, well, first season? I've never seen The Sopranos. <laughs> I know. I yeah, know. This, this, I know. Um, but sure, what did you think? It's been outstanding. It's, it's great. been everything that I had hoped for and most people have told me that the first season is one of the worst seasons and it's going to get better. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. It was Jack Ryan was a little bit tough because it was coming off of Homeland. And it's a little bit of a homeland knockoff, except not as good, but it's still really good. Okay. So any close calls with alligators or crocodiles while in the Everglades? No. And actually, there were no croc- alligators there. There's only one place where alligators and crocodiles live together in Florida, and we were not there. Mm-hmm. So this was all crocodiles. Okay. So it was awesome. Yeah. So, but but no, you didn't like have one like come up to your canoe and like snap at. No, we had, we had manatees, and they're actually a little bit scarier because they could easily tip you over. And yeah, there are sure. crocodiles in the water. Oh, well, so oh, man, they could work together to manatee. take you out. They could. Yes. Wow, they could have eaten me if they wanted to. I I had alligator <laughs> recently. I tasted alligator. It's delicious. So good. Yeah, I felt like it, it was just like chicken, but the way that it was prepared, I guess it was like a little too salty. Well, and it's a little chewy too. I didn't get the chewy. Right, crocodiles even saltier because they live in the salt water. Okay, that makes sense. Look at you. You're this a regular so skinner from 1990s <laughs> WWE. Uh, hey, Ben Gretsch, what's your favorite? Let's get to know Ben Gretsch. What's your favorite TV show of all time? If you were going to recommend, well, I don't know, that's a separate question. What's your favorite TV show of all time, like a like a binge-worthy TV show? I mean, originally I, I probably would have said The Wire, but there's been a lot of really good shows the last few years. Uh, I, I think The Good Place, which is on right now, is, is, a, is a great one, but... That, yeah, it's such a bad. I, I have no idea what that is. That like so Gretchy right there. No idea what the good place is. I think Chris right. Towers is, is a huge fan of that as well. I watched an episode of it on the plane ride during my winter break to Hawaii, and it was very, very good. I've not, I've not seen the Wire yet either. Show. But the Wire is next on my list after The Sopranos. Uh, you guys Wire have so, so much boring, time to like bother. watch TV. It's unbelievable. Okay, so Heat's, no Heat's all-decade team. Uh, this is the time, Dave. It's January. Uh, no, the all-decade I'm, I'm team busy watching football. It, it's, th- there's three, two games, four games a week. What are you talking about watching college football? football not... College football. Oh, come on. There's no football. There's no college football right now. Uh, there right. is for me. Drew I haven't Brees. watched much from the 2019 season. I got to go and watch it now. Drew Brees is, is Heath's quarterback. Everybody had him. Christian McCaffrey and LaShawn McCoy. I think three of the four of us had McCoy. Uh, Heath, I think, was the only one about McCaffrey. You will admit, yeah. Adam, that you chose McCoy because of the number that I provided when I chose McCoy, right? Absolutely not. I, I will say that you opened my 100%. eyes a little bit to McCoy, but no, I, I chose McCoy because he had like four top six finishes or some, or six top four finishes, something like that. He was really good. You have Antonio Dude. Brown, which was right. You have Julio Jones, which is wrong. That should be Calvin Johnson. Um, Jimmy Graham, which I agree with you on, and boy, Jamie really came after me on the Jimmy Graham thing, and uh, Larry Fitzgerald was just, just awful. Go ahead, Heath. 
Let's just address the Christian McCaffrey situation, because I think that's the most important one. I'm not going to make any defense of Larry Fitzgerald over Calvin Johnson. That was a mistake, and I should have Calvin Johnson there. I'll just accept (laughs) that. Christian McCaffrey is the correct answer. Here's why. He had two of the top five seasons of the decade. His 2019 was 63 fantasy points better than any other running back this decade. The main guys you guys chose instead were Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell. He had two seasons better than any Todd Gurley, Elliott, or Peterson season. And Le'Veon Bell crushed fantasy owners almost as often as he helped them. He was a bust in 2015, 2018, and 2019. That's the same number of top five seasons that he had. Christian McCaffrey didn't have any bust seasons and had two of the top five seasons. You can't have an all-decade season without the best running back of the decade. You're going off of PPR scoring? Yes, this was the decade that PPR scoring became the most popular scoring format, so I thought it was fitting to use that format. That's, That's a good argument for that. Because I, I went away from that. I wanted something that was a little more pure. In non-PPR, Christian McCaffrey had the very best season of the decade in non-PPR. Okay. Listen, I thought about McCaffrey, too, and I just thought that he just didn't play enough to warrant being on the list. I thought it was interesting. Ezekiel Elliott played one more season than McCaffrey. That's true. He scored 84 more fantasy points. McCaffrey scored 84 no, more than Zeke. Elliott did. Yeah. But, in a, but he had I another Elliott, I picked Elliott because of his consistency. The fact that he gave you 10 non-PPR in 91% of his games, that's something that I just I couldn't overlook. I had to put him on my all-decade team. And Gurley was, was close. Was that he Mercedes was Lewis's name? What's was that? that Mercedes <laughs> Lewis's name? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why Mercedes Lewis was on the graphic, Dave. Because I, I, I knew that everybody else was going to pick Gronk, or at least I thought everybody else was going to pick Gronk, so I put Mercedes Lewis in as my tight end. But obviously, it's for me, it was Gronk, but it's not as obvious now because I know Adam Heath, you guys chose Jimmy Graham ahead of Rob Gronkowski. I understand why you did it. I just wouldn't have done it. I would have picked Gronk, but I was just I was just fooling around. But uh, our graphics department decided to play the joke on me and put Mercedes Lewis as the tight end. Uh, yeah, he's, he's not really the tight end I would pick. I'll say I don't understand why any of you would take Jimmy Graham over Gronk. And I don't understand why on an all-decade fantasy team you guys care about who scored the most points in the decade. Like McCoy's career overlapped really nicely with the start to the end of the decade. But like in fantasy, we play single seasons. Rob Gronkowski averaged, and if you look at single games, averaged over – Three points, I think it is, but by, by the numbers no, you I'm can't, looking at. You can't, you can't look at games if you're going to say we play seasons because it, he did have games. No, he, but got, he, he had got hurt some, a lot. Right. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking yeah, 15 that was part of it. Point, 15.5 points per game to 12.2 points per game over their careers. That's a big difference among the top end of the tight ends. And I think it's the same reason for LaShawn McCoy. Did LaShawn McCoy ever finish as the RB1? I mean, you, don't, you have a guy in there who was literally never a league winner or, or like the number well, one running he, back. I don't think he, no, he didn't, but he was no, he was a top four running back four times. He was a top three running back three times. He finished number two once. So that's pretty good. Six top 12 finishes, four top four finishes. Uh, I do think he was a league winner, even if he wasn't the number yeah. one running back. Yeah. So I, I like McCoy there. I, and for Zeke, like the difference between, you know, you give that point about the fantasy points of McCaffrey versus Zeke, but Zeke has had four seasons where he has been a must start every single week total stud, whereas McCaffrey's only had two. So it's not it's not that he's played one more season, but McCaffrey wasn't really anything really in his rookie season. So it's four to two for Zeke. I and would, honestly, like I just I, I think that I think that Arian Foster has a better case than Christian McCaffrey. That's absurd. Because Arian Foster That is the most no, ridiculous thing. You've said so many terrible things on this podcast, and that is the <laughs> most ridiculous thing. Arian Foster is more deserving than Christian McCaffrey because he played four and a half seasons to Christian McCaffrey's three seasons this uh-uh. decade. You're That's wrong, impressive. Buddy. He he was he was RB1, and then he was RB3, and then he was RB3. Three straight top three finishes. Then he had a bad year, and then he came back, and he was RB6. So that is four out of five as a top six, three straight as a top three. And he look at his fantasy points per game in his four good seasons. 24.7, 23.8, 19.1, and 21.0. And guys didn't do that consistently like Arian Foster. That was like eight years before Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey just averaged like, 29 fantasy points per game. But it's a different era. It's it's a different era. Like guys, nobody didn't else do did it. What, what Arian, Arian Foster's Foster did. season is Arian, still the third best season in the decade. 
Like n- none he of the did, guys this year four, were doing what McCaffrey was doing. He had four top six seasons. Christian he McCaffrey's outscored had two. every other running back by seventy points for this decade in that season last year. Seventy points better than any other running. That's back. That's one year. That's one year. The Aaron year before was, was the fifth the, best season the this decade. Best year ever. Yeah, I like. The but McCaffrey it's but it's. Take. Uh, I, Come on, man. I want to throw in another name, though. What about Jamal Charles? I feel like you guys kind of overlooked him. In, another injury-prone guy, but mm. a guy who was absolutely elite early in the decade and so much fun to own in fantasy, especially if you had him in 2013 when he had that huge – I think it was a six-touchdown. Five of them were receiving touchdowns, if I'm re- recalling it right. Uh, week 15 Only semifinal. Oh, sorry, Ben. Only two seasons in the top five for him. So, like, he just got hurt too much. I I, I thought about him, but I just couldn't do it with Charles. Like Foster was um, I, I think, Fo- like, guys going back to the Jimmy Graham Gronk thing, just because I wasn't here for that big debate, and I knew that would be a fight over who the tight end of the decade was. And I, I could make a case for either guy, but I don't think it's fair to Jimmy Graham to, like, not consider him. I almost feel like if he had just retired a couple of years ago, we'd view him as a much better candidate for the all-decade team. He has, like, Gronk has the best season of the decade. Jimmy Graham has the second and the fourth best seasons of the decade. Then Gronk has six and eight. Then Jimmy Graham has 14 and 17, which were better than any other Gronk season. So, like, they were right there for a period of time. And Graham was more reliable. Okay. Yeah, they both had five top five finishes. They both had two. They both had a combined four top two finishes. Gronk had three number ones, and Graham had two number ones. But, yeah, a very, very close there. And I went with Graham, and I couldn't believe it because, as I said on the show last week, my first reaction was like, Heath is crazy. And then I was like, oh, my God, Heath is right. So, Heath, you were right, buddy. Good for you. That's got, and you yeah. Happy New Year, Adam. We're starting things off. Yeah, Happy New flips. Year to you. Jimmy Graham played 38 more games and scored 90 more points in the decade. How many I mean, points did he score in his last 16? Like 12? Hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he's been yeah. bad at the, at the end. I agree with you that he's good, but I disagree with Adam that you're right. I think you're both wrong. <laughs> uh, we got some news to get to around the NFL. Uh, by the way, our email address is fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Let's get to the news real quick here. Oh, yeah, there were some coordinator things going on. Bill Lazor to the Bears. Lazor. And, oh, John DiFilippo. Did you talk about John DiFilippo yesterday? We did. You it did, broke right, while Dave? we were on the air. And uh, Jamie surmised that it just means that they've they've got a different guy in mind to come in. And DiFilippo got the boot. They're going to bring somebody else in. We'll find out who that somebody else is. Guesses are welcome. But uh, DiFilippo on the move again. Going to be on his third team in as many years. I, I hope that they have somebody else like planned and ready to go and has agreed to take the job because I think you made a good point. I don't know why anybody that has proven they are good at this job would take this job. I'll tell you why, because there are only 32 play callers in the NFL and a bunch of them are head coaches. Oh, so somebody who wants the first the chance. chance. Yes, right. First chance, and and sure. so I'm thinking, what if it's Todd Monken? Who he's been an offensive coordinator. He's twice. been an offensive. He didn't call plays. He didn't call plays in Cleveland. He did he barely for half a year and for Dirk. And then Dirk Cutter didn't like him anymore. I, that's the only time. So I wonder if he's getting another chance to do it. And I good. think that that would be good for Jacksonville if he's the guy. We know it won't be Pat Shermer, and, and I guess that's a good thing. Or Bill Lazor. No, that's a bad thing. Like you guys, I wanted to say yesterday, Pat Shermer is the man. That is awesome for Denver. Pat Shermer is a great offensive coordinator. He has made Eli Manning look good. He has made Case Keenum look good. And now he gets a good quarterback. Daniel Jones. He's got so much more out of Daniel Jones than we ever thought he would get in his rookie year. Pat Shermer is the man. That's a great hire. Do you worry about Pat Shermer leaving for Daniel Jones? Yes, because the Giants are idiots. They are stuck in the 1950s. The way Joe Judge is talking, the way Dave Gettleman wants to put his team together, they are going to try to ground and pound. They are going to be a high-run team if they have the defense for it, which they probably won't. That'll save Daniel Jones. But yes, I hate the developments. I hate the things I'm hearing from Joe Judge. I can't believe we're going down this path. The Giants need to get with it. I know they hired four, quote, computer folks, but they need to get with it and get into 2020 because they they sound like an archaic team that doesn't understand how to win football games. And yet they see see how the 49ers and Titans are winning games and they're going, that's what we got to be. Mike Shula has been a name that's been uh, rumored to be uh, with, with the Giants. Now, if that doesn't get you excited for Giants football 2020, I don't know what will. (laughs) 
So I love um, that you threw 2020 uh, in because Mike Shula is a blast from the past. <laughs> well, but no, but he was he was the he is the coordinator. Marvin the Lewis Giants, is still available, right? You think he did an OCJ? Shula? Yeah, he was. He the might have been. Yes. Well, well, but he wasn't calling the plays. I don't believe. I think Shermer no, was the one calling he, the plays. So that's their way of trying to keep um, some lineage going, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. And by the way, with with Filippo, like let's not forget because Heath, you talked, you and I talked about this very briefly a few weeks ago. I said Leonard Fournette would would definitely have a decrease in his catches, and you said because I I cited Ezekiel Elliott from 2018 and 19, 19. You correctly pointed out well he had a different offensive coordinator. Uh, well, I think I I feel very safe in saying Leonard Fournette is not going to catch 76 passes. He did that in 15 games. I think that number's coming down. I think he's going to be in the I don't know 55. Do you think his carries go up? Like that. Maybe. Right now, yeah, Adam, I, I would low. say you're probably right. Let's see who they hire and what they say. Like it would, they should continue to throw it to him a lot more, but we'll see if they do. He did have 265 carries over 15 games. Uh, that average is a not quite a career high for him, but pretty close, 17.7 per game. It, it might go up a little bit. I'm I'm a little worried about the catches coming down, but it, again, just depends who's there and and what that Jacksonville defense ends up looking like. Remember. The way it left last year was horrible. We'll see how it does. Uh, ben Gretsch, let's talk about the Vikings real quick because Mike Zimmer said he lost his offensive coordinator, uh, but he says he wants to run the same offensive system. He wants some continuity for Kirk Cousins. Meh. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> offensive system. That's how I feel was about not it. Like, it was not entertaining. That offensive system was not entertaining. I don't know what, what we expect. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's meh. <laughs> Changing okay. changing coordinators and play callers, but not changing the playbook is not usually a good thing. But a good way to keep the offensive system in place is to take your senior assistant who's been calling plays his entire life and make him the offensive coordinator and the play caller, and that would be making Gary Kubiak the offensive coordinator in Minnesota. That would make me a little bit more excited and a little bit more confident that Minnesota could at least keep its momentum going on offense from what we saw from this year, which was a pretty good year for Kirk Cousins. I just don't know what to make of Diggs and Thielen if this is the case, and they're both back. With Kubiak as the play caller yeah. or with yeah. a completely— Well, just with Zimmer still being—Zimmer's in charge of the offense. Zimmer fire, fired DiFilippo because he wanted to run the ball more. He installed someone that would run the ball— now he's saying we're going to get somebody that's going to run the ball. I didn't ever really. I they Diggs and Thielen both had their moments this year. It's true, but I don't. I'm not going to feel comfortable with them next year as top 15 wide receivers. I'll bring it up again. I brought it up on the podcast yesterday. Uh, Thielen was a round three pick. Are you taking Adam Thielen PPR round three? I probably won't. I didn't last year though. I would. okay. Diggs round four. Yeah, well, yes or no? Diggs should go ahead of Thielen by a lot. I think he wow. should. All right, wait, 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 hold on. Stop. Let's stop right there because Jamie keeps bringing it up that Jamie got our top ten wide receivers from everyone, and he keeps saying that Ben putting Stefan Diggs in the top ten is like the one thing that stands out more than anything. So Ben, you just said something that is completely insane. You said Stefan Diggs <laughs> should go ahead of Adam Thielen. I suppose you have not been paying attention to fantasy football for the last three seasons. So go ahead and explain yourself, Ben. Wait, what? Why? Adam Thielen hardly played this year. Stephon Diggs is about to be, I think, 26. He was he came into the league at 21. He's been very, very good through the early part of his career. Adam Thielen's about to be 30. So uh, you're, you're talking about a 30-year-old receiver who's been banged up all year against a guy who got his entire role changed. In 2018, Stephon Diggs' average depth of target was 8.6 yards. The, the league average for wide receivers, 11.1. It was well below that number. In 2019, it was 14-something. It was way above the league average. All of a sudden, he was a deep threat when, when Stefanski took over and they changed it into more of a running and play-action passing game. He didn't even get 100 targets this year, but his line his, his line is exactly, almost exactly the same as the average Deshaun Jackson 16-game pace through Deshaun Jackson's peak. It's the same number of receptions and touchdowns. It was like 10 yards less. He became an elite Deep threat. Deshaun Jackson is, in my opinion, the best deep threat of our generation. He made almost every quarterback he played with better. He got changed into a deep threat who didn't even get 100 targets and immediately became a lead at it. He, I think he was the league leader in yards per target or top three. It, Diggs can do everything. If you look at it from a long perspective, I mean, I understand being concerned about the lack of 100 targets. But if you look at it from a long perspective, this guy is an elite receiver. He's a, he's a top 10 real-life receiver. He might be a top five real-life receiver. 
And if if Stefanski's gone, or if they do throw more, and they, they almost have to throw more because they threw very, very little this year, I think he only has room to, to get better. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you don't like how good he's been in every role he's played in. Because he, he hasn't been that good for fantasy. Like because, because Adam Thielen, when they're on the field together, Adam Thielen has been better every single year when they've played together. Adam Thielen is always better in fantasy. And as much as you want to say about Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun Jackson wasn't really that great of a fantasy-wide receiver overall. He, he's a, his deep th- Being a deep threat is not necessarily a good thing for fantasy. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just too inconsistent, not enough catches. And I think the main thing for me is just that Thielen outperforms Diggs in fantasy when they're on the field. It happens every year now. I would agree that I would take Diggs over Thielen next year. Um, I do think it's probably crazy to take either of them amongst the top 12 wide receivers with Zimmer saying what he said about the offense, because I think he has complete control. And I think that means another low volume year. Yeah, I probably I'm probably high on Diggs, And I'll I'll just tell you right now, I'm I'm sure I'm going to end up dropping him as we go into the offseason. But I I do think uh, to Adam's point about Thielen beating Diggs every year. That wasn't true this year. Thielen was hurt this entire season. And Thielen's 30 now. Diggs is going into his prime. When they're on the prime. field together. But 30's not old, and Thielen outperforms him, and that's just what I'm saying. Like, Diggs' targets, Diggs is pretty, this year Diggs was pretty bad when he played with Adam Thielen. Like, he was a total bust. The only thing that saved him was the Thielen injury. I don't think that's totally accurate either. I've been trying to look these numbers up the whole time we've it been is. on, and, and I've not quite got it done yet. But I'm, I'm out. A, before the end of the show, I will have Diggs and Thielen numbers in games that Thielen played at least 10 snaps. How about just bottom line games played? Diggs had a better average per game than Thielen. Oh, EPR for sure. Or because no, no, that is that is because Thielen kept leaving with injuries. Like you can't count the Kansas City game. You can't count why, the Detroit why, why game. I started him in those games. So why can't we count? Okay, those games? I, I understand that injuries hurt Adam Thielen. But when Thielen was healthy and when he played, he was better than Stephon Diggs. Now, Diggs had the seven catches, 167 yards, and three touchdowns against Philadelphia in week six. That mm-hmm. was his only game in the first six games. Thielen played the first six games before getting hurt. His only game with more than eight fantasy points in non-PPR. He had two games with double-digit uh, fantasy The first six games? Yes. Diggs had seven for 108 against the Bears. He had a fumble. So, okay, he had a fumble. That was the Uh, 15-point game in week four. Yes. So, okay, do what you will with that. But he look look at the game log. 37, 49, 15, 108, 44, 167 yards. That's not very good for six games. Yeah, he only had All right, you know what? We got to talk running backs. This team threw 11 passes in a game this year. It was the fewest in any game in the last, like, five years. I mean, you can say look at Diggs' game log, but you have to put into context the fact that this was a super run-heavy team. And when they did throw the ball and when he did get targets, he was amazingly efficient. He's very, very good. Right. I don't think anybody's questioning that. It's just questioning the opportunities and just the focus of the Vikings' offense about how they want to be run-centric. And you could argue that Thielen in 2018, the reason why he had a monster year was because Cook was on and off the field, and they didn't have a good run game to replace him. Latavius was there. He had some okay moments. Now I'm thinking, even if Dalvin Cook were to miss time, you can't rub your hands together and say, okay, it's Thielen's turn to put up huge numbers, because I think they'd run it just the same with Madison, especially with Madison going into his second season and understanding what the offense is all about. All right, guys, moving on here. Good discussion, fun stuff. All I know is one thing I can take away from this discussion is that Arian Foster had a better decade than Christian McCaffrey. So we go to <laughs> running backs and uh, the questions about the running back position. You know, Heath, I'm going to throw this one to you since you're the strategy guy. Uh, do you have a running back strategy yet here in January? Uh, no, not at all. I, uh, I'm de- looking forward to putting together my definitive strategy for redraft and then a different strategy for dynasty and then one for PPR, half PPR, and I'll follow it exactly no matter what everyone else does in the draft room, but I haven't come up with it yet. I just oh, think I'm going to chase <laughs> running backs pretty heavily this year. Going to want a lot of them, you, but yeah, I mean, that, that's me. That's what I always do. So I, I can't imagine after the year that receivers had, I'm going to say, yep. Oh, this is the year receivers we're gonna, had we're gonna a good wait. year, Dave. We're gonna receivers w- had a good year. They had a good year. It wasn't yes, like the it best was type ju- of year. It, they had less busts than running backs, and half of the top 12 players were receivers. Were they as productive was, as they were last year? Um, some of them were. Some of them were. Well, right, but ju- in general, as a position, were they? I don't, I don't know how were. you would want to qua- – how would we quantify? What would be the, the top 12 fantasy points, the top 13 through 24, and so on and so forth? 
I just I felt like there was only one receiver that was amazing this year, and everyone else had good moments, but they weren't like they weren't Michael Thomas. Basically, is what it that's is. true. Oh, and, I, and I think that there the, the were a lot of running were backs terrible. who were good. They were I, terrible. There were a they, few they, of they us. I mean, almost, of almost every, almost every top twelve wide receiver. I feel like was a bust. I mean, Julio, what are you talking like, about? Julio Jones. Julio Jones ha- was the number three wide receiver in PPR, right? But it wasn't that strong of a year for him. Fourteen hundred and six for Julio Jones. He outscored all the five running backs, or all the in six, PPR. I'm sorry. You're saying. In yes. PPR, right? Yes, not, PPR. Obviously not in non PPR. Like DeAndre Hopkins had had one of his worst years. He had a, he had less than twelve hundred yards and seven touchdowns. That's crazy. Uh, where's he also where outscored all the six Odell Beckham? Where is who else was it? Where's Devontae Adams? He was a bust this year. Juju. Uh, we had Juju was a horrible bust. Absolutely, it was a terrible year for wide receivers. What you, remember, we kept I don't saying know, that. I just re- I don't understand the different level. Like we're talking about how great running backs were and how terrible wide receivers were, but like Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Cooper Cup, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, all outscored like <laughs> two thirds of the over. running backs drafted in the first. It's round. over. It's over. I'm going to tell you right now why this is over. All right, PPR scoring. Chris Godwin was the number two wide receiver in fantasy in PPR. He scored 272 points. He would have been 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He would have been 10th last year. Right. The number two wide receiver in 2019 would have finished 10th in 2018. So I Game guess over. running back was just really bad too? Because he would have been the no, same. I think I you can make the case that there, uh, outside of those the, big six running backs, they there were some discrepancies and some problems there, especially when you well, not the big six, not the big six we drafted. No, 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 the big six, the big drafted, six that sucked. finished right. I tend to agree with that point. And when you roll it over into 2020, I think it's interesting because we can also look at a lot of really good young seasons at wide receiver this year. We we talked a lot about the rookie class, but there was a lot of second year, third year guys. Uh, that that middle tier of of the the DJ Moore's and you know Will Fuller was hurt, but I think he had a good year when he was healthy. And obviously Godwin, we just mentioned. There's so many more names in this group that I'm not thinking of. Tyler Boyd had another good season, in my opinion. That it, it makes wide receivers so deep next year. I you asked about running back strategy. I'm going to be a lot more willing to take a couple of running backs at the top of drafts. Last year I did a lot of one running back and then avoiding the position all through the dead zone. I'm going to be a lot more likely to take two running backs at least in the th- first like three rounds. And then hit receiver in rounds four, five, six. There's going to be so much receiver value in that range. And the top twelve PPR receivers average sixteen point three fantasy points per game. That is down two point one points from twenty eighteen. So uh, that that that's a big just macro qualifier for me as to why the position. Was How bad. were running backs compared to last year? They were also down, but I believe it was by about a point, maybe less than a point. I'm going to look right now. I think scoring uh, was just down this year, right? That might be the overall takeaway, you know, except a quarterback, because I think the quarterbacks well, here's the thing. scored I, as many. I think they might have been down a little bit too. When you look at the uh, when you look at the best offenses in football, this is what was so interesting, right? The f- the top five scoring offenses in football, they didn't really give us good fantasy running backs. Um, you know, you're talking about like the 49ers. I want to pull up the list now, but like the Ravens were up there and they gave us Mark Ingram and he was, I think, seventh in non PPR and 11th in PPR or something like that. But, you know, Ezekiel Elliott was on the sixth best scoring offense. Can somebody please pull up the top five scoring offenses? But I think that was a big difference. Oh, it was the Ravens, the Niners, the Saints, the Bucks, and the Chiefs. We didn't get, we only mm-hmm. got one top 12 non PPR running back and two top 12 PPR running backs from those offenses. So that was kind of strange. Uh, you know, Camara was top 12 in PPR, but he was very disappointing this year. Um, maybe that's why it just felt different because those the, we didn't get those uh, those leading offenses giving us those feature running backs. And they may have had good running games, but they didn't give us great fantasy running backs. Uh, ben, let me ask you this. Top 12 running back in 2020, that's most likely to be a bust. I mean, I have to say Derrick Henry. <laughs> Let's talk about him. What do you, what do you think about him? <laughs> I mean, he's so he's like the biggest outlier. He's going to be the easiest, uh, the easiest counter that you guys can make to any point that I'll want to make all offseason about my trap stat or about the running back dead zone. He was the perfect storm of anti how I look at running back. But I, and I think he's an extremely special running back. I think he's like very clearly an outlier. I wrote an article about him a couple of weeks ago, kind of uh, 
de- like deconstructing why he broke all of all of the molds of all the things I look at. And 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 part of it is this guy is 6'3", 250 pounds and runs a four five ish, I think, forty. I mean, he he's one of the most physically imposing running backs of all time. And that means that he can probably sustain things that other running backs can't. It's not really probably fair to compare him to other running backs or use big, broad rules on him. But the issue for me is and will remain that he only caught 18 passes. That's a very low number. He almost has to be an amazingly efficient rusher and be an amazingly efficient touchdown scorer, which he was all season. He had 18 touchdowns this year. That's going to be a really hard thing to duplicate. And he still only finished RB5 in PPR, right? Like, So he was RB2 in, in standard, but... You almost have to be the absolute league leader in all these rushing categories, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, rushing attempts, and stay healthy uh, if you only catch 18 balls. So that's that's the big problem for me. <sighs> you guys talked about him yesterday, Dave, when you know, I was tending to my sick cat, apparently, um, about Derrick Henry and how he has to be a first-round pick in every format. Do you agree with that? I don't know if you actually – I think Ben no, and Jamie I, said that. But I think there's a spot for him in the first round of every format. It's just a matter of when you want to take the chance on him. And listen, just because he only caught 18 balls this year doesn't mean that he can't catch 30 or 40 next year. Tennessee's clearly going to have to try and come up with some things to make their offense a little bit better. And I, I think that Derrick Henry does have potential to – um, improve his game and be more versatile. I'm not suggesting that he's going to become a pop pass quarterback, Tim Tebow style, like we saw against Baltimore. But I do think that he's got a chance to to still improve in other areas where he hasn't improved yet. And I think that the offensive line is going to be in really good shape. They might even address it further in the draft. I don't think Tennessee is going to look at what they're doing and say, all right, we made it to a final four spot in the NFL playoffs. Let's start developing our passing game more. And let's get another another weapon to go with A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, and let's turn Ryan Tannehill into the next Patrick Mahomes. I think their identity is going to be with Derrick Henry. If anything, they might go and add another physical running back to go alongside with Derrick Henry and have in case Derrick Henry does get hurt. He's a little risky as a first-round pick, but of the top 12 running backs, I, I think there's some others that we could name that have a little bit more bust potential than okay. D.N. Who? Uh, yeah. Mark Ingram, for me. Because that's a team that I think could take carries off of his plate and bring in others. And we talked about this on Monday as well. He's also 30. And uh, I I could see that team take a a big step in their evolvement on offense. I think they could be uh, a little bit different there than they were this year. And Ingram is kind of like Derrick Henry Light. He was kind of touchdown needy. And he never got the type of carries that Henry had. And he finishes a top 12 running back in PPR. I think that he's got a very good chance of not being a top 12 running back next year. Yeah, Ingram would have been my first choice just because he's 30 years old and got banged up this year and is even more likely to They've got two other running backs behind him. I mean, yeah, Justice Hill didn't show us a whole lot this year when he got the ball, but hopefully he shows us more next year. I guess I'll go with Chris Carson um, just because of the injury history and because they have other options there who also have injury histories. And I just have this hope deep down in my soul that the Seahawks, as they're reviewing this year, they'll say, man, we sure moved the ball effectively in the fourth quarter when we'd worked ourselves into a two-score deficit over and over and over again. Maybe if we let our best player throw the football more, no, they probably won't do that. There's probably still a lot of rush attempts available in Seattle, but I think Carson's probably my – like Ingram would be my number one, Carson would be my number two. I, I, I agree with that. And then I think the jury's still out on Austin Eckler because we don't know what role he's going to have for the Chargers oh, next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. None, of, none of those three running backs are going to go – I mean, maybe Carson goes in the second or third round. Ingram's going to be probably a fourth-round pick. I think he was in our early mock, and, and Eckler's probably not going to go earlier than that. Um, they were all RB ones last year. I actually thought Adam was asking who, who like a first round pick for next year might be, that would be a bust. Uh, but I, yeah, I think those guys, they all have their red flags, but they're all, I think they're all going to go a little bit later. So it, it'll make them interesting gambles as well. Yeah. I actually was Ben asking that, but I realized halfway through the segment that there are different interpretations <laughs> that I guess it didn't really matter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, I like the question that Ben answered better, I suppose. Like, who do you think is going to go too early next year? Because Carson and, and Ingram won't go that high, but Henry certainly will. But obviously, keep in mind for the listeners, the three guys that were named are not big pass catchers. So that's always something we're going to be looking at 
that matters in non-PPR and PPR. It's just it's valuable touches, valuable yards, a few extra touchdowns perhaps. Uh, let, let's spin it, though, it's more positive. Who could really – who could Dalvin Cook it next year? Who could get himself into the conversation of being a top five overall pick? You know, the, not going to be this year, but could be the following year. Uh, who could really break out Heath? I mean, I think there's a couple of rookies that kind of did in the second half of last year that you could see doing it this year, and it'd be Miles Sanders and Devin Singletary. I, I exclude Josh Jacobs because I think he's almost kind of viewed in that top 10 range already. Um, but either of those guys, if their coaches will give them 15 to 20 touches per game and they prove they can hold up to 16 games of that, I, I almost think it's a foregone conclusion they're going to be top 12 guys if those two things happen. I think Melvin Gordon is yeah, another Yeah, not top candidate. 12, though. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Dave. Not not top 12. I'm talking top five. Like, well, I, I, I said want it's a foregone to... conclusion they're going to be top 12 if that happens, which gives right. them the potential to be top five. Okay, but, but do you see superstar potential with those guys? I think there's superstar potential with Sanders for sure. I think there is with Singletary as well. I like. I like. Not as certain of that yet, but well, he's got everything that you're looking for. He's on a team that likes to run the football. He can catch passes out of the backfield. Once Frank Gore is out of there, he can start working at the goal line a little bit more. He might lose some touchdowns in short range. Well, I think that's the key. But I think he's got a lot of potential to get valuable touches. And and I think that that's what makes Devin Singletary a little bit better than Miles Sanders at this point. Will they give him those touches though? Because they were giving those touches to Frank Gore. If Gore's Frank gone, Gore. I don't know who else is going to get. Well, there's there'll be a Josh dozen Allen. running backs that are free agents that are available for a million dollars that are as good as Frank Gore. And if they do that, then that yeah, that would obviously sting Devin Singletary. But I also think that he's just he he's a very talented back they? and is going to get a lot. Of, why wouldn't they? That's the way that I yeah, feel why about they? it too. Why didn't they? I don't know why, especially after so Frank Gore had a dozen opportunities, it, so it seemed like, and he couldn't score on any of them. Yeah, it was crazy. Josh Allen, but though, the catches has, concern me. Josh Allen ahead, takes man. his touchdowns, yeah. Allen will yeah, take Josh it, Allen yeah. has two of the top 10 all-time quarterback rushing touchdown seasons in, in, through two years. This year, he had 11 carries inside the 10-yard line. Singletary had four all year. I mean, Josh Allen is their goal line back. He's Cam Newton, in uh, nah. a younger version of Cam Newton. Inside the five-yard line. Frank Gore had 11 carries. Josh Allen had five. Devin Singletary only had two. So I do think based on this year, based on this year, there were plenty of goal line carries to go around, but Frank Gore got most of them, and that will not happen next year. No chance. Unless it does, which would suck. They won't. <laughs> uh, in, the last, in Devin Singletary's last six games of the season, he, was, he wasn't a top 15 running back, but that's because he didn't score a rushing touchdown. But he had the fourth most carries in the NFL. He had the fifth most rushing yards, um, and he just didn't score. Uh, ben, uh, you know, I, let's talk about Leonard Fournette because he's always a guy that's going to get a lot of work. And he just was so unlucky with touchdowns. He had the fifth most carries, I think, in the NFL. And he only had eight carries inside the five-yard line, which was extremely low. They never got in the red zone. Dave was talking about that a lot down the stretch. Can Leonard Fournette be someone that goes Dalvin Cook on us and becomes elite in fantasy? And Ben, would you take him ahead of those younger guys, Singletary, uh, Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs? So I actually have Sanders ahead of Jacobs at this point, and it is the receiving value. And, and they were close in PPR. I think I would take Sanders over Fournette. I'd probably take Fournette over Jacobs. Um, I think Fournette's a really interesting guy to contrast from Derrick Henry because he only finished – they both played 15 games. He only finished about 40 points behind him for the full season, even though he scored three touchdowns and Derrick Henry scored 18 touchdowns, right? But, but Fournette caught 76 passes, and that's the value of those receptions – in PPR, it's just so many free points. Uh, and he racked up plenty of yards uh, in addition. He had over 300 more receiving yards than Henry. So he basically was um, the the receiving and non-touchdown scoring, uh, I, I don't know, best example of, of where you – like what the, the, the floor is when you have that type of a workload. Obviously, he has room to grow from that if he can score more than three touchdowns. I mean, that's just pretty wild for a lead running back. Yeah, I, I would take Fournette over all the guys I mentioned. I wasn't counting him because he was the number seven running back this year, so I didn't think he factored into the make the leap into the top five. It would be moving up two spots from where he ranked this year. I meant top five overall picks, you know, the truly elite players in fantasy. And Fournette wasn't wasn't really close to that in, um, in non-PPR. He was 13th, but he was 7th in PPR. 
But no, I know you you're you always like Leonard Fournette. Can he stay healthy? Are they gonna change things? We we shall see. Dave, like let's talk about some other guys. You know, Philip Lindsay, Le'Veon Bell. Like Le'Veon Bell, he his sixteen game pace was three hundred and thirty one touches. So like it's still really it's for him that's kinda low, but that's still a ton of touches. Um, it is. Maybe he can jump back in. Kenyon Drake finished strong. David Montgomery is a rookie. We haven't talked about James Conner exists. You know, I actually really, as we did the mock drafts, I really liked the running backs that were going in rounds four and five. Um, there was a lot of success in that range. I think last season. Uh, what do you know? What do you think about some of those guys I just mentioned? I think Drake is going to be an interesting one. Uh, I think a lot of the running backs that you mentioned, we just have to see what happens with where they're playing in 2020. And is Le'Veon Bell a sure thing to stay with the Jets? Hopefully he is. Hopefully not, right. Let him find another place to play with an offensive line that can do a better job blocking for his style of running. Drake is someone who I'd love to see him stay in Arizona and work in that offense. But if David Johnson's going to get healthy and contribute, now we've got a pretty significant two-headed monster in that backfield i'm i just think that there's just there are factors that have to be played out this offseason before we can really come to a conclusion on any of those guys you know it's funny because like we i spent most of the offseason hyping up Kenyon drake as either a breakout or a sleeper depending on where his adp was and i think it ended up being fifth or sixth round in most drafts um he was a complete and total disaster in Miami as everything was in Miami. And then he was a league winner that was available off the waiver wire. I think he's probably going to be drafted in a similar spot in the fifth or sixth round. And all the same arguments are going to apply to him again. I've got a lot more interest. Assuming we don't hear something from Arizona saying, no, David Johnson had this wrong. We expect him to be the same next year. Assuming they bring back Kenyon Drake. I, I think I'd, I'd rather have Drake than bell for sure. Look at the third round last year in CBS ADP. Kerryon Johnson, Damian Williams, Chris Carson, Devontae Freeman, Josh Jacobs, and Aaron Jones. So, you know, pretty good. Obviously, Kerryon was injured, but when he played, he wasn't that efficient, but he was still worth using. Damian Williams is so interesting. He's going to he's gonna drive us crazy again this offseason, depending on what the Chiefs do. And then we, we haven't even talked about Aaron Jones. Like Aaron Jones finished as the number two running back in PPR, I think, or maybe number three in PPR, number three. He's a top three running back, whatever the heck it was. And I think it's just people are scared of the touches, Ben. So like how do you think how do you feel about Aaron Jones? And what do you make of the fact that they they just rode him in that playoff game? Didn't even give uh didn't didn't give John Mall Williams a look. Yeah, no, that was a great sign because prior to that, Aaron Jones uh, was way, way better during this season in the two games Jamal Williams missed and the two that Jamal Williams left early, like substantially better. I think it was about 40 total yards or yards from scrimmage more on average in those four games compared to the other 12 games. It was nice to see that with Jamal Williams back and relatively healthy, they really wanted to ride Jones. And and we might be expecting that going into the offseason that He's done enough this year to earn more trust, but they do seem to really like Jamal Williams and they do want him to have a role, especially as a, a pass blocker, it seems like, and he plays on passing downs that cuts into Jones of receiving. Um, that there There is some concern for me with Jones if if Williams is healthy. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the thing is, like, it, it didn't surprise me too much that they used the running backs like they did in the playoffs because Jaron Jones is better than Jamal Williams. But I don't know that Matt LaFleur or the Packers want to see 25 touches per game over a 16-game season for Aaron Jones. I think they'd like to let him loose like that later in the year maybe. So I still expect he's probably going to be in that 15-touch range early in the year again. Yeah, and and if you look at the splits, the catches, he had 27 catches in 12 games with Devontae Adams. He had 22 catches in four games without Devontae Adams. That's Aaron Jones. So we'll be talking about that for sure. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? Dave, give me a final thought on running backs. I'm still concerned about some of the teams that are going to continue to split going into next year, but I, I think the rookie class is going to be really interesting. It'll be especially good if Travis Etienne ends up declaring, but we, we've got a nice crop of young rookies coming in. Don't be surprised if one or two of them end up finishing as top 12 fantasy running backs. Yeah, I would say Heath? don't be surprised if we get to like June 1st and there are a dozen teams where we legitimately do not know who the starting running back is. There are a ton of free agents. There is a huge draft class coming in and there were already a lot of situations that were semi-committee. So I think that like 
early in the summer, there could be a lot of argument over who's going to lead what team in running back touches. Ben? I mean, yeah, I... You brought up Damian Williams. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of piggyback on what both of those guys said and say that I think the Chiefs are gonna add a rookie running back, and that rookie running back is gonna be a top five player next season. Woo! Oh, hey, okay, a bold prediction to end the show. Well, it was great to have Heath back. Thank you to Heath, Dave, and Ben for being on today. Thank you all so much for listening and watching on YouTube at youtube.com slash today. And thanks to our video crew for always doing a great job. We will talk to you on Thursday with some wide receiver reflections and some DFS talk for the upcoming games. And I'm going to try to squeeze in a Friday show because I really want to do a call-in show. That's going to happen pretty soon. But at least, at the very least, we'll be back on Thursday. All right. Take it easy, everybody. Dave? Nah. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.